Welcome to the First Pres podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you would like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. Amen, right? That's the body of Christ. Friends, we're moving from me to we as we continue our sermon series in the book of Ephesians. We're picking it back up in chapter 5 today. If you want to turn there with me, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Pull it up on your device or follow along on the screen. Ephesians 5, 21 through chapter 6, verse 9. Hear God's word. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of this day the gift of gathering in your presence and worship. And and what we need to hear, Lord God, what we need to hear is your voice. What we need is is to hear from you. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would fill this place, that you would fill us and guide us to truth and freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you have a lot of rules growing up in your house? I think in my house we had the, the standard sort of rules like, no dessert until you finish your dinner. 
No throwing the ball in the house, which for us usually had a, a caveat. When mom is around, no throwing the ball. My mom, though, she grew up in a house with five brothers and one sister. Okay, think about that. Seven kids running around. They needed a little order. They needed a little structure. My grandparents had to get a little creative at time with the rules. At one point, the four older boys, they decided it would be a good idea to to put their little brother down the laundry chutes. And so my Nana had to come and say, okay, new rule, new rule for us. Uh, Laundry chute, it's just for laundry. I didn't know you were confused about that. I didn't know you needed clarity on that, but house rule. No throwing siblings down the laundry chute. Another time, one of my uncles uh, accidentally swung his golf club into my mom's face. Yeah, ouch. And so here comes my sweet little Nana. New rule, new rule. Golf clubs are only to be used away from people's faces, you know, like on a golf course. A house rule for us here on out. My uncles uh, turned out really great, by the way, because they sound a little scary in these stories, but they're great. But for every house, there's rules, right? Expectations, norms, patterns of behavior. And this was true in the first century world. That's the context that the Apostle Paul is writing as he pens this letter to the church in Ephesus. And at that time, in that culture, there were these things called household codes. And these codes provided a sense of, of order. These are the norms, these are the the patterns, the expectations in relationships. In our passage today, the Apostle Paul takes on the idea of a household code, of what key relationships look like. But he doesn't just absorb the patterns from the culture around him. No, Paul asks this really important question. What does the gospel have to do with my relationships? What does the cross of Jesus Christ have to do with how I interact with people in my ordinary and my everyday life? And y'all, I think we need to hear these words from Paul. I think we need to lean in to what he's saying. I I know this is a difficult passage. Believe me, I know. (laughs) But I think we need to hear what Paul is saying. I think we need to ask that question. What does the gospel mean for my relationships? When I get out of my seat today, when I go back into my life, when I enter into my relationships there, what does the cross of Jesus Christ have to do with those very relationships? Because we look around, the culture around us, the, the patterns around us. And what we see a lot of times are all the ways that relationships go sideways. Broken marriages and strained friendships estranged fathers and alienated children, fractures in churches, hurts that that run deep, walls that get built up, selfishness that runs deep, all, all the ways that people get used up by other people. And that's part of our experience too, isn't it? It's part of our story too. And is there, is there another way Another way to do community, another way to do relationships. Is there a Jesus way? And what would that look like? What would that look like in my marriage? What would that look like in my my friend group, in my life group, in my workplace, with my kids, with my parents, in the church? Friends, Ephesians 5 points us to the Jesus way. And it's the way of the cross. 
The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. Twice in Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul names this reality for us. Verse two, Christ loves us and gave himself up for us. Verse 25, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In our passage today, Paul wants us to see. He wants us to see that the cross of Jesus Christ is the lens for how we view the whole wide world and how we interact with it. That at the center of our relationships, at the center of our ordinary, everyday life is the cross of Jesus Christ. And so as we go through this passage, as we get up and leave from this place, here's what I want you to remember. The cross forms the shape of our relationships. The cross forms the shape of our relationships. And can we just go ahead and name that for a lot of people, that's gonna sound like nonsense. Maybe it sounds like nonsense even a little bit to us that the cross, that an instrument of death is gonna be key to my relationships. That the cross, an instrument of death, is going to be key to good relationships, flurrying relationships. The Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What we have found in Jesus Christ is that the cross brings life, salvation, rescue, restoration, forgiveness of sins, that the cross of Jesus Christ has the power to heal, that all hope is not lost. We look to the cross of Jesus and we find healing power there. Amen. And so as we work our way today through this passage, here's what we find. Our patterns for life, they're not set by the world. Our patterns are set by the pattern of Jesus. That in Christ, the cross is the crux of every relationship. That the cross forms the shape of our relationships. Now, what does that mean exactly? Well, it has a lot to do with getting low. I personally, I I hate limbo. The limbo, limbo. Whatever it's called, I hate it. I've been, uh, you know, 5'10", 5'11", most of my life, tallest preschooler you ever saw. <laughs> and so I, I hated it. I have very strong opinions about this, as you can tell. I hated it when you're at a pool party and someone brings out the limbo stick. Anyone want to play, play limbo? No, shut the party down. Because <laughs> the whole point, right, of course, is to get as low as you can, as low to the ground as you can. How low can you go? Very tough for tall people. <laughs> but very much the way of Jesus, getting as low as we can, laying down our lives, serving, looking not to the interest, our own interest, but to the interest of others. That's the way of the cross. In our passage today, the Apostle Paul lifts up these three areas of life. And before we dive into, the, into those three areas, we should name that there were certain assumptions of Paul's day, of Paul's culture, that are really hard for us to get our minds around because it's so very different from our culture today. And maybe you heard me read that passage and, and you're ready to check out. Maybe you're here and, and you're not a Christian. Maybe someone brought you. Maybe you're here seeking with, with questions. And you heard that passage and you thought, okay, I knew it, I knew it. Christianity subjugates women. The Bible defends slavery. And you thought to yourself, I want nothing to do with that. And I would just say to you, hold on, hold on a minute. 
because the Apostle Paul's words are actually incredibly subversive. And that's the way of the kingdom of God, uprooting the old, what has been torn down and broken by sin, uprooting the old and replacing it with the new, the new creation in Jesus Christ. And so Paul takes these traditional household codes and and flips it on its head. Scripture does that a lot challenges the way we we think, the way we see the world, the way we interact with the world, and that's actually a really good thing. And so let me try to explain. Do you see what I I mean when I'm talking about? We go to that first verse in our passage for today, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you're going to understand this passage, you have to hold on to that verse. This is our rule in the household of God. And actually, it's better to call it a law of love. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, what does it mean to submit? In this context, it implies a a willingness, a choosing, submitting yourself. Here's one definition I came across in my studies. It's yielding yourself in love, voluntarily yielding yourself in love. I love that definition. I'm gonna come back to it a lot this morning. Yielding yourself in love. And so first, Paul looks at marriage, the relationship between a wife and a husband. So let's start there. Wives and husbands. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. And when we read verse 22, it literally says, wives to your own husbands. Well, wives, what? What's the verb? In the Greek, there there actually is not a verb in that verse. And so translators look back to verse 21 to find the verb that's implied, to find what, what Paul is talking about. And what do we find in verse 21? Submit. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Some translations will, will put a, a, paragraph, a new paragraph between verse 21 and verse 22, but you actually can't do that because these two verses go together. And Paul is saying, hey, church, all y'all, making Paul Southern today. (laughs) You're called to willingly yield yourselves in love, to mutually submit. And this includes husbands and wives. So let's read verses 21 and 23 again. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the savior. Now what does it mean that the husband is the head of the wife? So much debate over this this little word. And we read it in English and we jump to the conclusion that that head means leader, like, like head of a company. But that actually wasn't the common meaning of the Greek word which Paul is using here. So what is Paul referring to with this metaphor? saying the husband is the head and the wife is the body. Again, there's different interpretations on this. Some would say head could mean source, source of life. The head is the source of life for the body. Or it could point to a picture of of unity between husband and wife, like that of a head and a body, a, a oneness. We pick up on that idea of oneness a little bit later in our passage Verse 31, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. That's the picture in scripture of of marriage, of a oneness, a unity, 
coming together and being made one, not, not a hierarchy, not one controlling the other, not one dominating the other, but made one. Now we see in our passage today a lot more ink is spilled over the husband's role. In the culture of Paul's day, in this Greco-Roman world, it was a, a given that husbands had the power. Women had basically no rights in this time period. And so Paul spends a lot of time talking to the husbands, reframing their role in light of the cross. The cross forms the shape of our relationships, remember? And so here again, verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. As husbands mutually submit to their wives, they're called to love their wives as Christ loved the church. That's a picking up your cross kind of love. That's a yielding yourself in love sort of thing. And so I submit to my husband Chuck, and Chuck submits to me, as we're both submitting to Jesus, our Lord and Savior. I think sometimes this passage gets boiled down to who has the final say in a, in a decision. Well, first of all, I would say Jesus does. <laughs> but I want you to wrestle with this thought. This passage has far less to do with who is holding the trump card and far more to do with, with husband, wife. I want you to flourish in Jesus. I want you to be built up in Jesus. I want you to grow maturity in Jesus and I am willing to lay down my life towards those ends. I am willing to yield myself and love to you and for you. Now, different Christians committed to God's word, fully devoted to Jesus, work this particular section of our passage out in, in different ways. And wherever you land, the task for all of us is to be committed to bringing our, our whole selves, our whole lives, all of our relationships before the Lord. God loves you. He's leading you into flourishing life. Okay, let's move on to our next area of relationships children and parents. The Apostle Paul writes this, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. And fathers, or, or parents, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, we think kids are so cute and adorable and worthy of like 100 Instagram posts per hour. <laughs> I speak from experience. <laughs> But in Paul's day, uh, kids were not thought of so highly. In fact, they were sort of seen as, as less than human. But Paul addresses them first. He speaks to them. You see, in this upside-down kingdom, that the powerful and the powerless, they're both submitting to one another, mutually submitting to one another. Chuck and I have been parents for about a year and a half now. So, so we basically know um, nothing at all. <laughs> And I remember when I was pregnant with Luke, Chuck was talking to a friend of ours and, and the friend said to him, he said, do you wanna be a good father? He said, focus on being a good disciple of Jesus. Focus on being a disciple of Jesus. And those words meant so much to, to me and Chuck because you know, we had no idea what was coming. Obviously, we still don't. <laughs> but our friend just pointed us back to Jesus. Turn your eyes again to Jesus. Pick up your cross follow him, do what he's doing, go where he's going. The cross forms the shape of my relationships. Now, we don't have time this morning to talk more about 
what that looks like between kids and parents. But I do wanna say a word to the single folks here. Maybe you heard this passage and you kinda wanted to roll your eyes, you know? Here we go again, talking about marriage and kids and family. Maybe you wonder, where where do I fit in that? Maybe you've struggled with that before. Where do I fit in the church as a single person? But what we see is that family is getting redefined in Jesus. And the primary family that I belong to, it's not the Fowler family. It's the family of God. That Jesus is bringing us into one family, me to we, and here we come together, young and old, men and women, single and married, one household of God, one family of God. All y'all, you're all a vital part of that. This is the body of Christ. We are the family of God. Amen? And we're living together. We're, we're learning what it means to live in a community that is cross-shaped. So let's turn now to our last category that Paul lifts up for us, slaves and masters. And we read these verses and we have a lot of questions. What is Paul saying? Is he condoning slavery? And it can be said that slavery in Paul's day was very different than the slavery we, we saw in our own country's history. But we still ask, what, what is Paul saying here? Is he condoning slavery? And, and again, we come back to the cross. If you were to actually live in light of the cross, then your ways of controlling people, dominating people, using people, it's gonna have to come to an end. And so when Paul addresses those with power, the the masters, he says in verse nine, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. The same way, the same way, what? How could there be even a hint of a mutual relationship between master and slave? How could that be? Because the old is being uprooted. Because the curse is being undone. Because new creation is breaking in. Because the gospel is in bear. Because the cross is in view. The gospel is coming to bear in all of our relationships. And so pastor and theologian John Stott, referring to the institution of slavery, he puts it like this. He says, the gospel lit the fuse, which at long last led to the explosion that destroyed it, that destroyed the institution of slavery. Paul says, masters, treat your slaves in the same way, and the fuse is lit. In another letter, this, uh, what we call the book of Philemon, Paul calls a Christ follower to receive his runaway slave back, no longer as a slave, but as a brother in Christ, and he appeals to him on the basis of love, and the fuse is lit. And we look at scripture as a whole, and we see every person, every person has been made in the image of God, has inherent dignity and worth and value, and we look to our Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ, who says he came to set the captives free. The gospel is coming to bear every relationship. The cross forms the shape of our relationships. Now, did the church abhorrently try to use scripture to justify slavery? Yes, yes, and that is our sin to confess, and that is our wrong to make right. In our culture, when we look around, the patterns around us, what we see a lot of times is that might equals right. And power is used sometimes in horrific, sinful ways. And we see the fallout living in a 
in a Me Too world. And from that movement, what came to the surface was Church Too, with people sharing heartbreaking stories of harassment and abuse in the church. And we just, we name that, that is a horrific, that is an ungodly abuse of power. At times this passage has been used to justify evil things like slavery or domestic abuse. And we just name that for the evil that it is that those things have nothing to do with the God we see revealed in Jesus Christ. Because in the kingdom of God, when we look to Jesus, we see that power is rightly used in love, in service, in vulnerability, and the powerless are being lifted up. That's the way of Jesus. Friends, I know relationships are hard, tricky. I I don't think you need me up here saying that, reminding you about that. But in all this, we just keep looking to Jesus. That's what the Apostle Paul is doing for us, drawing us back to the cross. There's this call to yield ourselves in love. So I want you to think about your relationships right now. The people who are sitting around you in your row, the people in your life group, your Sunday school class, your, your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister, your friends, your coworkers, those are the people that Jesus is calling you to love, to yield yourself and love to. And how do we do that? How in the world do we do that? We come back to Ephesians 5, 18. In many ways, this verse is the The center point of this passage says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. To live a cross-shaped life requires a Spirit-filled life. We name it, we're powerless. I I don't know how to love these people. I don't know how to fix my marriage. I don't know how to work on my marriage. I don't know how to raise my kids in the Lord. I don't know how to interact with my coworkers. I don't know how to move towards people who are not like me in love. I don't know how to do it. I can't, but God, I believe you can. I believe the Spirit of God is at work and unleashed. God, I can't. So I just cry out, Holy Spirit, fill me. Spirit of the living God, take control in this relationship, in this situation. It all goes back to verse 18. Holy Spirit, fill me. For what we are powerless to do, Christ has done. What we are unable to do, Christ is able to do. At one point in his ministry, Jesus calls his disciples together and he says this, he says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. I came to lay down my life for you. I can't get over the scandal of that the total grace, the sheer mercy, the extravagant love that the one with all authority and power, the one who's supreme over everything, emptied himself. The God of the universe, the one who holds all things together, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Christ who loves us and gave himself up for us to make us holy to make us clean, 
to make us one with himself. It's a profound mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church, that we have been made one with Jesus. I want to invite the band to come on up, Matt to join me up here as we, as we move to the Lord's table because we get to experience this at the Lord's table, what it means to be one with Jesus, what it means to, to meet with the Lord here. Christ cares and feeds for his body. Jesus says, I, I see you. I know you're tired. I know your heart has been bruised. I know your relationships are broken. I know you're trying. Come to me. Let me show you a better way. Come to my table. I have a place for you. Be fed, be cared for, Jesus says, by me at my table. (coughs) Friends, we come to the Lord's table recognizing that it's Jesus who's made a way for us. All who put their trust in Jesus, you're invited to come here. This isn't a Presbyterian table, it's not a first press table, it's the Lord's table. And Jesus has made a way for you. If you're here and you're not a Christian, maybe you do have some questions you're seeking. Encourage you to use this time to explore where you are in your spiritual journey. We don't want to ask you to do anything that you don't believe in, that you're not comfortable with. Friends, this is the Lord's table. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.first-prez.org.